All right, Kiss Army. You wanted the best? You got the best. Now close your eyes. You're about to be podcast. Hey, welcome back to Podcast. This is Gary Schaller. And I'm Ken Mills. And if you joined us last time, you know that we've been bringing you an awesome exclusive interview with Jean Beauvoir. Um, if you're a KISS fan who followed them in the 80s, like you should have, then you know that Jean Beauvoir played bass on and co-wrote some really memorable KISS tunes that got us through some of what people re- refer to as the leaner years. But I thought that it was a great time to be a KISS fan. I know you did, too. It was, it was, it was always a blast. It was lots of fun. It was uh, lots of fun. You, and uh, You really had all, to be there. Yeah, exactly. That's well said. And uh, one person who was there was Jean Beauvoir, and he brings us behind the scenes um, to uh, what it was like to be part of that world and tells us what he's up to these days. And so here is part two of, of our exclusive interview on podcast with Jean Beauvoir. Give it a listen. Well, thank you, Gary. And we are joined by Jean Beauvoir. So you had some success with the Being on the Animalize album. And uh, so, so you were brought back to do Asylum. Yes. And, of course, you had to enjoy every time you turned on MTV there for a while. You, you had to hear the cash register because you were part of uh, all three of those videos. You had something to do with those tracks, didn't you? Two of them, right? All, all night and uh, all, all night and uh, who wants uh, to be lonely? Yeah, who wants to be lonely? Love that song, and you played bass on that, didn't you? Yes, yeah. Fantastic work on that. Thank you. Excellent Thank song. You. One of the one of the best hard rock singles around at that time. I loved it. Just fantastic yeah. stuff. So, what was it like seeing uh, your stuff on MTV and just wondering, boy, if if all those Kiss fans knew that was me, you know? <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. No, this this was a great time, a really great time. Um, it was a very colorful time too. Remember the outfits? Absolutely. <laughs> I remember the outfits. I remember the castings. <laughs> it's one thing the Kiss guys had. They definitely had colorful taste in casting. Yeah. <laughs> those videos were just completely out of control. At were all. you there on any of the sets? Yes, of course. Yeah, so, sure. so you were there in England when they did that? No, not the one in England, but um, okay. there was. Um, I went to some of the stuff they'd shoot in LA. Mm-hmm. So whenever I, whenever anything was happening where I was close by, I'd be there. You know. Uh-huh. But it was a, it was a great time because um, it was a just I think it was just a colorful time in my career. In general, I had a few things on different records. The Kiss stuff came out. It was doing well. Um, it was exciting. Yeah, I mean, because you you were realizing a dream. That was your dream. I mean, just to have your name on a record. Now, around the same time, you were doing some work with Little Steven, correct? That's right. That's right. I remember you had a, a fantastic track with him, and the band was called Little Steven and the Disciples of the Soul. And you guys had an excellent single by uh, the title of Forever. And speaking of Motown... Boy, did that have a kick-ass Motown uh, hook and, and vibe to it. Steven had a, uh, a big thing for Motown. He just loved that. He loved horns. He loved all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, there's another example of what I'm saying about people taking you on as a peer. Mm-hmm. Because um, when I actually started working with Steven, not to change the subject at all, but I had left the plasmatics. Right. And I was trying to get a solo deal. Mm-hmm. And nobody would touch me. Nobody would touch me. It was just like, they basically said, if you want to blow up some cars, we'll assign you. Right. Other, until then, you know, you're just another guy. But if you want to blow stuff up, we'll take you. We'll take you. We said, you want to sing? What, what are you going to do singing? It was a waste of time. Okay. You know, so I couldn't get a deal. I couldn't get arrested. Things were getting really bad. And then next thing you know, um, the same manager who actually had found me for Gary U.S. Bonds happened to be still managing Gary U.S. Bonds 
who Bruce Springsteen decided to do a comeback record for. With This Little Girl Is Mine. That's right. So, lo and behold, I leave the Plasmatics and I go back to that manager and I say, listen, I need a manager. I can't get a deal and I need you to help me out here. He said, well, I got an idea. Gary's doing a new record with Springsteen and Little Steven. I have a feeling you guys might get along. At that time, I had a loft in New York City on 30th Street, one of those rehearsal lofts that I lived in, rehearsed in. It was all like a one thing. He said, why don't I have Stephen and Bruce rehearse Gary's stuff for his record at your loft? Wow. You get to know Stephen, and maybe you guys hit it off, and if you do, maybe you do something together. Wow. That's how it happened. At the time, believe it or not, I was, again, pretty cocky because I really wanted to do my own thing. I I didn't want to play bass for anybody I had a, I had an offer from Billy Idol, uh, from Prince. And, and yeah, as you had mentioned, from Minneapolis, Prince himself. That's right. I found out Prince was a huge Plasmatics fan. I had no idea. He used uh, to he used to see your shows every time you guys came to Minneapolis. You, see, you know this, okay? Oh, I know. All right, okay. He used, I had no idea. I would have never imagined, you know. So they made me offers to come play bass with them. That's another pinch me moment right there. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. Prince wants me to work him. You know, but then again, you got to remember, you, something you're forgetting is that the plasmatics at that time were bigger than Prince. Right, <laughs> Don't right, forget. right, right, <laughs> right. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. it was like, I don't want to go play bass for Prince, and I'm just going to end up being a bass player, and that's going to be the end of my career, and I'm going to get squashed, and it's over. Right, right, right. So that's how you were really thinking. I said, I want to yeah. do my own thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So, um, but Steven somehow kind of turned the tables around a little bit. You know, he came, he, I played him some of my stuff. He said, this is great. He says, but you're not going to get a deal. He says, not the way things are. He says, you need to prove to people that you're talented and that you can, you know, that you need to associate yourself with something else. Because right now, you're just a novelty from the plasmatics and nobody's ever going to take you seriously. Right. So he said, so why don't you come with me? Let's do a couple of, you know, do a tour or two, a couple of albums, you know, I'll produce some tracks for you. And all of a sudden, going from the Plasmatics to Bruce Springsteen is a complete 360. So he said, so then it'll give you a little bit of credibility. And then the record companies are going to be more interested to talk to you. Wow. So, you know, he made, he had a good story. He had a, made a good point. <laughs> so I was like. And, and it's weird fact- because you, you still kind of have done some stuff with Lil Steven over the last few years. He's doing the Underground Garage on Sirius. Right. You have something to do with that, correct? That's right. That's right. So he became kind of a mentor at the time, and so he kind of took me under his wing, and and I he took had me come in and play on that record for one thing, and then took me on tour. But we were again very close. It was more like a partnership. He was you right. know, singing all the. I was like, I was to him what he used to Bruce. Right, exactly. Now, and how come he didn't get you into the Sopranos? Ah, what's I, up with that? That's a good question, right? You know, yeah, let's uh, get him on the phone right now. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. And Paul and, and Paul was involved through all of that. You know what I mean? Pretty much while I was with Steven, we were still friends hanging out through all that stuff because it's around the same time that I worked on Asylum. So New York was a small little hub. Everything was going on there. So, you know, we were kind of a group of friends, you know, in New York. I'm going to take a little sidestep here. I want you to, to give me a list, and we'll, you and I will just go back and forth and mention, mention names of people that you've either written with or produced or something, okay? Because uh, a lot of people may not know it, but there's the Ramones in sync. Now, there's a, there's a, a contrast. The Pretenders. Yes. Who else? What, what are we looking at? There was the Crown of Thorns, which is your band. John Waite. John Waite, Doro, No Breaks, off his No Breaks on Dora Pesh. Doro Pesh, Debbie Harry. Mm-hmm. Of Blondie uh, fame. Of Blondie fame. Uh, who else? Believe it or not, well, play, played guitar, cameo. <laughs> I played guitar. Heard cameo. up. That's right, I played guitar. Uh, one or two tra- Nona Hendrix wrote her single. Mm-hmm. Well, <coughs> co-wrote her single with her, a song called I Need Love, which is also a pretty big MTV yep. song. Yep. Oh, God. I actually co-wrote with Lita Ford. Nothing ever came out of it. We just wrote together one right. day. I think it was between albums or something. We just got together and wrote. God, I almost got to go back and look through my website to see. <laughs> uh, there's been a lot. There have been a lot of people. Um, a band called Treat out of Sweden, uh, which was a rock, you know, kind of a metal rock band. It was very big in Sweden. Uh, you also else? did the Shocker 
track. That's right. The Gates of Wrath. Wrath. That's shocker. A girl named Carol Davis. I did that with Nile Rogers. You know. Um, so you've worked with some amazing people. People, if you don't realize how deep this man's catalog and connections are, go to his website, which is www.jeanbeauvoir.com. Do you remember when you used to talk about things or do promos and it didn't have anything to do with WWWs? Remember that? That's days? right, exactly. And, 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 and for those that want to follow you on the tweet verse. That's right. W, that's right. www.twitter.com forward slash Jean Beauvoir. And you have a Facebook page if you're interested. Facebook page also is Jean Beauvoir forward slash official. Okay, there you go. So this is one of the ways you can follow this guy. And uh, I, I want to talk a little bit more about that Dudes of Wrath thing. Okay. What was that? I mean, that was around what time? Around what, 99? When was that? Let's see. I've got the poster. I'll tell you right now. What okay. Is it? Uh, I can't see. That's the record. It's got to be. Yeah, it must have been... I'm not sure of the year. You're not seeing it there? Uh, no, I, I don't have any browser open, actually. Um, but it was for the film Shocker, and you guys put together an informal band. And wasn't it uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue? 1989. 1989. Yes. So it was uh, Tommy Lee from Motley Crue, Paul Stanley, Desmond Child, and you, right? Was there anybody else? Guy Man Dude. Right? There was a guy named Guy Man Dude that was involved in it. Guy Man Dude. Sounds like a made-up name, but go on. For <laughs> <laughs> the name Dude of, Dudes of Wrath, how did that title come up? Do you know anything about that? To tell you the truth, a lot of it happened. That whole thing happened very, very, very quickly. It was something that um, I was thinking, If you guys had more time, you probably would have changed the name. But <laughs> oh, I just pulled it up by accident. There it is. <laughs> There it is, there it is. That was a good song, actually. Yeah, we're going to play a little bit of that right now. That was um, and Michael. Actually, Michael Anthony, because it said Paul Stanley, or the Def, Vivian Campbell, uh-huh. Rudy Sarzo, uh-huh. Tommy Lee, uh-huh. Michael Anthony, and Kane Roberts. So it's pretty much anybody that was anybody in hair metal uh, walked through and played on that track for at least a few seconds. It seems that's right. And Desmond and I wrote it. Wow. Guy, and it was just one of those things where we were sitting. At EMI, I was an EMI published writer at the time. Uh-huh. So it was Desmond. <coughs> and they actually said, you know, we're working on a film Shocker. And they looked at Desmond and I and said, you guys, why don't you guys go write the song? They need a title song. And Desmond and I looked at each other. They had a little studio in EMI. We just went in, went to a piano. Boom, boom, boom. boom. Desmond and I sat there. Boom, boom, boom. Started working. And there, there was the song. Then some calls were made. And before you knew it, everybody was in the studio. It was one of these really rushed Things they needed it right. yesterday. Yep. Yeah. So, so who called Paul? You or Desmond? <coughs> I think we, we might have called him together right from the studio at the time because again, Desmond, we were a part of a little team. You know, we right, were always right. hanging out and calling each other and doing stuff. Oh, I'm going to see Desmond this afternoon and blah blah blah. You know, so it was just one of those casual things. Okay, let's go in, let's do that, and then 
after that, they kind of booked it and went in and did it. Wow. That's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, do you have any memories other working on that? I mean, a lot of KISS fans don't even, aren't even aware of this thing existing, so it's going to blow some people's minds, but you guys should hunt it down. Yeah, it's, it's very cool. Matter of fact, I had, I had two songs on that record. I had a, one of my, my band, Voodoo X at the time, had a song called The Awakening on that same record. Well, now let's get back to our little world of KISS. Uh, you've had a successful run with Paul as a co-writer, and uh, you guys have a good vibe going. You're working together. They come off the road of the Analyze Tour, and they're going to go into the studio with Asylum. This is where all those wonderful videos come from, kiddos. Is, is mm-hmm. this man right here? He had something to do with the songwriting process, and you also played on Asylum, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. Tell us everything you can about it. Uh, yeah, yeah. All right. Well, pretty much, um, it was, again, everything that happened, but I don't want to make things sound too casual because I, as you say, I know that, uh, from the fans, it, it's a very exciting thing. And it was very exciting for me, but it happened casually, meaning uh-huh. that <coughs> Paul would be back on the, off the road and, you know, I'd go to some of the shows, you know, whenever we could because at that time I'm busy too. I'm doing this, I'm doing Steven, I'm writing with other people, I've got Ramones, you know, you've got different things going and we'd just get together and then um, we'd say, okay, well, we're going to start to write songs for the second record. Let's let's get together. So in yeah. one of our get-togethers, you know, we, we would be the same system. You know, we'd be back in the apartment in New York. Um, I might start messing around with some riffs on my own you know, um, at, at home, and sometimes I'd just bring some riff ideas, and we'd get together. One thing I do remember, we always order this Chinese food. He, uh, you know, he really, Paul really loved these uh, <laughs> wontons and sesame sauce. Now, see, there's something us KISS fans did not know. Paul's in Chinese food, so there you go. Well, he was into it. I mean, at that point, at those that things, point. I still eat those things. Every time I eat those things, I think I'm writing a KISS song. Uh-huh. <laughs> so every time you eat wonton soup, you think of writing a kiss song. I swear. Okay. <laughs> you know, like, excuse me, I got a bit of a cold I'm getting over. It's so. all right. You're a world traveler. It's lucky you can even talk. I doubt. <laughs> so we would do that. We'd order those. I can still remember them. You know, and I try to find the same ones all the time. And we would sit there on that couch and start messing around with ideas again. And to, and then we'd come up with, the, you know, the songs that we'd come up with Asylum, uh, for Asylum, you know. And he had a few different writing partners, so he would write with some different people. But we came up with two for that one. Okay. And then um, I can remember there were some points where we said maybe we should bring Desmond in to kind of look at the lyrics. You know, Desmond is, I'm not saying that we're not good lyricists. No, but Desmond is good. known as a song doctor. He's Yeah, he's a great lyricist. He's just, he's just got a very interesting... Uh, way of writing lyrics and sometimes he could just look at something and just make a couple little tweaks here and there that just you know are, are very valuable if you know what i mean absolutely well, he's made people millions with those tweaks <laughs> there you go there you go you know when, so, i guess when desmond tweaks <laughs> listen you know what's the you know, <laughs> that's it no desmond desmond's a great guy i mean he's a matter of fact i i saw him not too long ago i saw him probably about seven months ago or something because he does a lot of work with a very, very close friend of mine now who's also a very great songwriter from Sweden, actually. So, um, well, well, you tell him hello for us. We want to have him on the show. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. So, so <laughs> explain what you can about the Asylum uh, project, the uh, recording of the album. I mean, I did bass on a couple of the songs on this, but and, it's not necessarily with Gene. But, you know, it's kind of like Gene was there at times, so it's like, it is a little bit like with Gene. It wasn't like we were, you know, um, separated. And, oh, no, Gene, you know, now I'm working with uh, Paul, so Gene's not right. in sight. You know? Did and he ever come up to you and say, now, while you're playing this, don't make it anything too difficult that I don't, you know, that I have to try to fake <laughs> you know what I mean? No, no, no. <laughs> no, he never said that. And, you know, and it's not like those bass parts where the interesting thing about Kiss is it's more based on feel it's not it's not it's not difficulty i mean i, I would say some of the little steven bass parts they were pretty intricate parts mm-hmm. people wouldn't believe it but the plasmatic bass parts were probably some of the hardest bass, bass parts i've ever played 
from any project I've ever did. And, and you would figure that if there's any place you could get away just making noise, that would have been the one, right? Go back and listen to that first record. Yeah. First of all, it was lightning speed. Mm-hmm. Plus, you were doing runs. Right. It was incredibly difficult. It made and playing at anything else like a cinch, to be honest with you. Right. But as far as the Kiss stuff, it was more just a feel. You know, in rock records like that, everything's got its place. You know, you have the drums. Everything's got to be just in the pocket. It's got to be where it needs to be. You know, it could just be boom, 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 boom. Mm-hmm. It's just got to, but you can play that same thing and have 10 different guys play that same feel. And if the feel is not right, it's not going to bounce. It's just it's not more. there, you know? you know? I mean, so that's, that's really what it was. And I think that's why Gene liked me playing some of those things because he just liked the feel that came out of it, you know? Right. Uh, well, that like, was, that was a really fun track. Yeah, it was. I, I, I still go back and look at that video that all night. It's pretty funny. When was the last time you watched that video? Just in, in your off the top of your head. I'd probably say about a month ago. <laughs> to be honest, about a month ago or so. And then maybe it was, you know, a long time before that. But I, I go back every once in a while because I, I have a YouTube channel. So I'm constantly putting things on there because, you know, with the Internet, the way things are, you just keep finding things about yeah, yourself. Yeah, you're, you're kind of like your own DJ using the Internet. <laughs> and you find out things about yourself that you didn't even know. I mean... I just found out, and this is really bad that I just found out, but um, I found out that there was a bootleg record released of me doing a duet with Bruce Springsteen, you know, and that I didn't even know was actually a record. Wow. You know, I thought, you know, I did it. I went up to one show. It was a show that he was doing in Paris. He invited me up to sing Hungry Heart, and I went up there and sang, but I never thought anything would ever come out of it. And just go up and sing, it's over. And then I find out it's a record. You know? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, baby. <laughs> well, sometimes we get interviews with people. Uh, for example, we we had a recent interview with somebody, and he got some of the years wrong. And we we've had fans like saying, "Well, you know, he that, that guy got his his years wrong." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, that guy lived it. You're reading about it. You know, <laughs> to him, it was something that happened for a second, and it was gone. You yeah, know, you know, it's true. to somebody who's reading books too. and websites, you know, it's it, but." Your memories are the important thing, you know what I mean? So this is this, this is the stuff books are written from. Easy to get years wrong and things like that. you got to remember, I mean, I hate to say it, we're talking a lot of years ago. Absolutely. Absolutely. I try remembering sometimes what happened last, last week. week. <laughs> yeah, <right>. you know? <laughs> so excuse me not being able to give some details at times. You know? Now, a lot of people think about being a rock star, like you mentioned, the casting calls for the videos, which... Must have been some fun because there's some really good looking girls in those videos. What can you tell us about the debauchery of being uh, around the Kiss Camp at that time? What are you safe in saying? Well, I'm not going to give any details, but I'm going to say oh, that come on. we all loved girls. There's no doubt about that. I mean, that's the, I, let's face it, that's the common thread. That was the yeah. common thread of rock and roll, period. I mean, I think pretty much anybody who started playing rock and roll started playing rock and roll to get girls in the first place. Absolutely. I mean, that's, you know what I mean? It's like that was the whole idea. But um, that's one thing that I think that I miss about those years. It's just that intrigue of just women and pleasing women and chasing women, and everything was based around women. It actually made you do all these things, like make great records and dress and, a certain way. And, and be a rock star. And be a rock star. That was the whole fun. Because you got the girls if you were the rock star. So Yeah, that's the whole fun. So, I mean, so there's no doubt. I mean, these are things that, you know, we had in common. I mean, Paul and I, when we went out, we liked to go look at girls, chase girls. Yep. Fun. That's, that's, you know. So, basically, you and Paul would go hunting for women either in New York and L.A., depending ooh, on where you were. Ooh. I wouldn't say hunting. Why don't we just... <laughs> <laughs> We'd admire and gaze, you know, and we're. Well, we
process for asylum is there anything that stands out like uh you know because now you're also working with another guitarist bruce kulik at this point bruce was a nice guy too he still is like, great guy he's really great matter of fact i gotta get back in touch with him. i have i've been out of touch with everybody for so long it's just one of those things that's it's like i don't know what happens with just time and life you know it's right. but um but um yeah it was a, another great it was always a very cool experience one because i think it's some things that I learned from the whole KISS camp <coughs> is the professional, professionalism that they had and just the way, you know, you could have fun. All They had lots of fun. Anytime, you know, Gene was around, because Gene's a jokester, you know, so mm-hmm. being in the studio with him, you're going to be laughing half the time because he's always got something to say. You know what I mean? So that makes and, it, and, and he's really quick. He's really quick. He's really quick. You know, and Paula Jean had their, their interesting personalities, uh, you know, be between themselves, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Even just watching those two interact in the room is is just a funny thing, you know. It's just it's just funny to watch. It's they're just, they're dynamic back and forth. They're very dynamic, the two of yeah. them together. You know, it's almost like it's almost like you wonder how they can be friends for as long as they have been, and they do business for as long as they have been. It's like it's like a I don't know. It's like it's like a couple. It's it's kind of a but it's interesting, and they manage to still be really efficient. And to get everything done and to be successful. I think almost like a, I don't want to say a couple, because that's not really the right way to say it. But why I say that is because they have all the stuff that they don't agree with everything, you know, all the time. Sometimes mm-hmm. they'll have different opinions and stuff, but they always work it out. Right. Um, Gene and Paul seem to have different views, not seem, they have different views on a lot of things, but somehow it all comes to center. You know what I mean? It's like, uh, this is stuff that's not really a secret. You know, I heard right, something on TV not the other day that I that I heard where um you know, Paul would say, There's reality T V and there's reality. Right, you know right. I mean? It's like, you know, he'll disagree with Gene that he's doing reality T V, mm-hmm. you know, and they'll have different ideas on what things should be, you know, certain things that Gene would do that Paul would never do, you know, but nevertheless, 
somehow it creates a great team. Maybe because they have that pushing and pulling that makes things end up in the center mm-hmm. where it actually needs to be for it to work. think of the non-makeup years as the lean years, and perhaps based on the amount of income that they had coming in in the 70s at the the biggest zenith of their heyday, um, was there ever a sense of urgency or a sense of rebuilding or something like that? Yes, I think there was. As a matter of fact, to be honest with you, Paul, you know, these were things that we would talk about. Not necessarily all the detailed details of his business, Mm -hmm. but yeah, to a certain extent, because for example, at that time, I think this was just was I, just when we were still hanging around, and um, I was with Stephen at the time. But anyways, I was spending money like I was just out of control, you know. Uh-huh. I was I had a big apartment. I was spending, you know, I was spending more than Paul was spending. Right. And I remember he, you know, sat me down. He said, "Sean, you got to stop, man." <laughs> he said, "You know, the bottom is going to fall out." He said, "The bottom is going to fall out." You don't need that. You don't need to, you know, but he was always really good at finding deals and getting things at a good price, you know. So mm-hmm. I'd have the same apartment he had, but I was paying three times more. You know, ah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Because he just know how to do it. You know, he just mm-hmm. they just always had a great knack for getting things and being efficient and finding deals and knowing what to rent out. And they just always had their thing together, you know. Right. But um, things that, you know, people should learn. But the point I was going to make is that, he told me, you know, at the beginning, we spent so much money and we made so much money. And he said we made millions and millions of dollars and we lost everything, you know, at the very beginning. 
Uh-huh. And he said, and we're not going to let that happen again. Well, we spent too much. Let's put it that way. Not lost right. everything. You know, spent, realized that millions were coming in and millions were going out. They were renting sports cars everywhere they went. They were doing this. They were doing that. <laughs> and then he learned. So he was trying to pass down the lesson to me. Uh-huh. He was telling me, so please, my friend, don't make the same mistake, you know, and be, take care and, and be careful. So I think so when they were in those years, the no makeup years, it was a time of reevaluation, of looking at things, which every band goes through. Right, absolutely. You know, it's the same thing. I worked with Jim Valance, for example. You talk mm-hmm. about, I wrote with him, and he pretty much was very involved in Aerosmith when they came back. And he gave me the right. same story. He said, when these guys came up here to work with me in Canada, he says they were done. There was nothing left. Right. He said, because everybody gets caught up in the, you know, Spend, 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 spend. The bottom's never going to fall out. It's going to keep coming. We're rock stars forever. This we're, you know. And so basically, and then finally, people have to look at it and say, you know what? If I get the chance again, this time I'm going to do it right. So he was, they were being a lot more cautious in those years as to how they did things. And that I did see. What about as far as like controlling issues within the band? For example, they had went through hell from what we understand through the Vinnie Vincent situation where he was wanting to kind of hijack the band and make it more his kind of thing. Were any thoughts or anything ever expressed along those lines? Um, no. Pretty much what I saw, I didn't see any controlling issues. The issues were Gene and Paul were the bosses, and that was it. Okay. Makes <laughs> to sense. To be honest with you. There Makes was sense. No, and that included anybody else involved in the camp in any way. Very cool. Um now, you and Paul have had a working relation outside of KISS as well, uh, and some some fans will follow that and some fans won't. You actually have some music that you're giving away. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about it? Yes, I'm actually I'm doing a five uh, free song download just because as time's gone by, I, I just kind of felt that my fan base, personally, has kind of been very separated, and I never really looked at it as a big picture to put everybody together because I realized that, for example, I released a Joey Ramone record not too long ago and you have all these people who know you from the Ramones and they're Ramones people and they don't know really anything that you did with Kiss because they're all they're only in the Ramones, you know what I mean? Right. And I have that with, I've been involved in so many different projects that from my solo projects, my band projects, I realized that very few people or, you know, not as many people should be are aware of different things that I do. So, one, I'm creating a mailing list to try to get everybody on the same page so for future things that I'm doing, they can be kept abreast of what's happening. And I kind of just put together a little five-three song, da- download a song that I wrote with Paul, A Lover Like You from Voodoo X, a song I wrote for the Ramones, Something to Believe In, but a new version, a song from my acoustic record, a Crown of Thorns song, and different songs so that people can kind of get a little taste of different things that I've done. They get those for free and basically to sign up for the mailing list so they could be, you know, in the loop of what's happening. And of course, all it's going to cost is uh, their email address, correct? That's right. That's right. That's right. <laughs> so yeah, you- it's not it's not a big deal. I just think I mean a lot of people do this. I, I think a lot of us are a little bit old fashioned in our thinking, and we we don't do that. And the next thing you know, you sell records and you have fans all over the world. And the next thing you know, you only have the record company to be the intermediary between you and your fans, you know, and all of a sudden you don't know where your fans are and your fans don't know what you're doing and nobody knows anything and everything and the relationship is lost. So I think that the smart way is to just have a more direct to fan relationship with people so that they know what's happening. When you're releasing a record, you're not depending on one record company that only reaches 3,000 of your people, you know, and then they're all asking, when are you releasing a new record? Well, it came out two years ago. Well, we encourage everyone to check out these five songs and to keep following Mr. Jean Bovier, of course. And uh, so we're, we're going to uh, make sure that you guys have a way you can just click and download from our website, from the show notes, from what you're listening to right now, and, on, of course, on our Facebook page as well.
out of the five tracks, there's the one that you have written with Paul. And can you tell us a bit about that? And what would you like folks to, uh, you know, and, and keep again, this, this is, this is free folks, free music for you. Uh, can you, can you tell us a little bit about the track? Yeah, it's, um, song A Lover Like You. And we actually wrote it for a band that I had late 80s, 89 called Voodoo X that was on Columbia. Mm-hmm. And like, uh, you know, Paul and I, like I said, we were doing a lot of writing. So sometimes we'd write just other stuff. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I was going through some cassettes and found like two or three other things that we wrote that we never did anything with. Uh, the other day, I was kind of going through the archives and I got boxes of old cassettes and stuff. But this was one song that we wrote for my band, uh, Voodoo X. And also a pretty big Australian artist named Craig McLachlan ended up doing a cover of it as well. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, so that's a, a song called A Lover Like You. But after that, Paul and Gene were very much involved in my band, Crown of Thorns. Um, I don't know if you know about this. So Yes. Yeah, go uh, on. Talk about it. So basically, <clears throat> after Voodoo X and everything, I moved out to L.A., and uh, I wanted to put a new band together. And we wanted to do pretty much what was at the time an all-black rock band. It was something that we felt there were a few people. Tony Thompson was a fantastic drummer who passed away, by the way, mm-hmm. who was the guy who, who uh, did the Led Zeppelin reunion tour. Yep. You know you know all about him. Mickey Free was a great guitar player from Shalimar, but actually mm-hmm. was a rock guy, a very good rock guitar Yeah, he was amazing. There you go. So you know Mickey. Okay. Oh, absolutely. There you go. So Mickey... We got a bass player from Texas. We had started with T.M. Stevens and Doug Wimbush and some of these, you know, higher profile guys. But like I said before about finding the right guy who can keep the pocket, we had gotten a guy named Michael Page from Texas that was just right. Okay. So Gene and Mickey were very close. And Gene really believed in Mickey. And Paul and I were really close. So one night I just made a phone call. I said, I got this idea. Interscope was ready to make a deal with me for a solo record. And I said, let's. Let's do this as a band record. So quickly, we all ended up all getting together, and we formed kind of a little bit of a team. Uh-huh. And with Paul, Gene, myself, Mickey, and everybody else, we started making the record. And we made the first Crown of Thorns record. Um, and that, that was it. And that we spent a lot of time together for that one. We probably spent about two years together. <laughs> <laughs> all the time. Recording, joking, laughing, going through this, fighting. I mean, you name it. <laughs> we went through a grueling couple of years to get that record done. And, and about when was this, would you say? 93. 93. Okay. So Paul co-wrote some songs on that. He co-wrote Dirty Talk, Dirty Walk. He co-wrote Winterland. And people should get a hold of that first record. It's actually a bit of a collector's item amongst Kiss fans. I don't know if you know that or not. Ah, okay. I didn't know that. There's right. actually there's a place called Kissfac. If you uh, go, you'll find out all about your album. <laughs> uh, right. Well, you see, I'm finding out some things because you actually don't know what what people know or don't know. Yep. He's right right now, Julian. He's typing in Kissfac. I'll bet you Kissfac. Yes, did. Yep. And if you type in Crowns of Thorn and Kissfac, you'll find the page. All right. I will check it out. I will yep. check it out. Well, I'm glad because they should know these things because this is um. It, it was a great collaboration between all of us, you know, for that record, I think. And I think it turned out to be a really good record. We had some bad luck with the record company. I think we took so long. So many people, it was one of those records Development, where, hell kinds of things. Yeah, you know, it was one of those things where it was one of those big deals. Uh-huh. There were so many people involved. I, you know, Kiss guys, me, Bo Hill from, you know, Winger, and everybody wanted to, you know, there were too many chefs at one point. Right, and I remember reading at the time in the press, and this was way before the Internet, uh, everybody was like, these guys are going to be something, keep an eye out on them, and it was, we kept hearing that. We kept, it's, it's coming, it's coming, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. And then it's like... <laughs> Just a cough. It was there, but it was not there. You know what? You know it was what never mean? released. It was never released. Yeah. What ended up happening is finally, by the time the record got done, all of a sudden grunge came in. Exactly. And that was the big crunch. You know, it, it, it was the final nail almost on that project. That was it. And then the record company came to all of us, the Gene, Paul, myself, Mickey, and they said, guys, you know what? We missed the boat because we're signing bands out of tune from Seattle. And they're, you know, and they're driving around the van and they're selling, you know, a million records. And right. we're just not ready to, you know, go back into these million dollar videos and, and all these kinds of things that we had planned originally. It was very disappointing. I got to be honest with you. Um, but that was the end of that. But then I continued after I 
licked my wounds for a while. Uh -huh. I kind of, Europe wanted the record out, so I continued touring. Um, bon Jovi took us out. So we went out with Bon Jovi and Van Halen uh -huh. <laughs> for all of Europe. It was great. And then ever since then, I've done actually nine albums with Crown of Thorns. Well, good. So good. now working on a new album. You know, it's just starting to write material for it. So that's something that people get on the list and everything. Everybody don't know what's going on, but planning to do a new album for next year and to get back out on tour next year. When you meet KISS fans, what's it usually like? They're always happy. They're always excited. You know, it's something that you, I think that you miss in general coming from that era of time of mm -hmm. seeing the fanatic fans that really, really are behind something and something really has meaning to them. You know, it's like mm -hmm. even the Plasmatics fans, we have those kind of fans. The Ramones fans have, there, there aren't that many bands that have those kind of fans anymore. The ones where what somebody does really means something to them and is a, an, like a, a real part of their life. And gives them fantasy and makes them forget about all their troubles and everything else. Which is really what we felt rock stars were supposed to do from the beginning. Absolutely. There was a freedom in that. There was a freedom, if that makes sense. You know what I mean? Absolutely. As you may know, I was originally in the Plasmatics. I've made several solo records, one being Drums Along the Mohawk, which featured the title track for Stallone's Cobra film, Feel the Heat. I've written songs for Kiss and Paul Stanley separately, produced and all wrote with the Ramones, John Waite, the Pretenders, Debbie Harry, and many other great artists throughout my career. Um, I had the group Voodoo X, and I'm still quite active with Crown of Thorns. I realize that a lot of you who may be fans of one or more of my projects may not be familiar with other aspects of my career. So I felt it was a good idea to offer a five-free song download to give a small taste of different things that I've done. Download these tracks and join my mailing list. This way I can keep you in the loop and let you know uh, about my upcoming projects and things that are going on. Um, you can go to my website, www.jeanbeauvoir.com. And there'll be a download link, and you can download it and rock on. I want to thank you for being on the show. We look forward to anything you have coming, and we thank you for this uh, new music to us. And it's, it's free, gang. You can't get much better than free. That's right. And, and, it's, and it's a Paul track you probably do not have. So download it. Go to uh, John's site, which is... Oh, yeah. Well, the way we have it downloaded, can we do it by a link? Is that okay? Yeah, can yeah. We can do a link. link. We can do a link, but we can also send them to your page, and they can find it there, right? That's right. Yes. Okay. I'll set it up so it'll be there. Yes. So, so then let's let's just have them. You can, you can go to the link in our show notes, or we can go to www.jeanbeauvoir.com. Again, we thank you for being part of History. We thank you for being part of the podcast. And anytime we can help promote you or you feel like uh, giving us a call or any stories you have, let us know. You, you, are, you are on the show. So thank, thank you very you. much. Thank, thank you for you, being a, a friend of the podcast. Listen, I appreciate it, Ken. Thanks. Thanks for Not the a problem. Great. Thank you so much. <laughs> All right. God bless, I, I, and, I, and I hope to talk to you again. Okay. Same here. All, All right, right. See you. Bye-bye. And that is our show. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to check us out on the web at www.podcast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and on iTunes. If you'd like to contact the podcast, please drop us a line at podcast at gmail.com. Big thanks to Julian and everyone at kissfaq.com. They've got great information there and a terrific message board, too. Thanks also to Keith LaRue and everyone else at Kiss Online for their great work representing the hottest band in the land. And as always, a big thanks to Paul Stanley, Gene Simmons, Ace Fraley, Peter Chris, Vinnie Vincent, Bruce Kulick, Eric Singer, Tommy Thayer, and the memory of the late, great Eric Carr, and the late, great Mark St. John. You are KISS, and we are your army. Podcast is created by the KISS Army for the KISS Army, and it is available for free as an internet download. If you like what you hear on our show, go buy it and support the people who made it. 
podcast is not affiliated with KISS or any of its members past or present. On behalf of myself, Ken, and the whole rest of the podcast crew, thank you for listening to Podkiss, the KISS fanzine for your ears. <laughs> <laughs>